morning, I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew. This is chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You can follow along up on the screen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Oh God, by the leading of a star, you manifested your only son to the peoples of the earth. Lead us, who know you now by faith, to your presence, where we may see your glory face to face. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Aubrey. Aubrey just read uh, the passage that is um, most prominent and used for Epiphany. So in the church calendar, uh, Epiphany is one of the things that's celebrated, and yesterday, January 6th, is actually Epiphany. Now... Uh, If you were wondering, like, the 12 days of Christmas, where do they get this 12 days thing? It is that from Christmas until Epiphany is 12 days. And so back when they were really, uh, the the communities of faith that were really uh, celebrating the holidays or observing according to the church calendar, they wouldn't, like, start with all the parties, Christmas parties and gift exchanges before Christmas Eve because that was Advent, and you are fasting and waiting and anticipating and longing And then Christmas Eve into Christmas starts, okay, now the celebration goes for 12 days and it culminates with Epiphany, which is like for some communities had been the biggest part of the celebration. So if you still have your Christmas stuff up at your house, no no need to feel guilty. If it's still up next week, I mean, come on, like, you know, we got to move on with like, but um, so it was sort of a late decision to talk about Epiphany. Uh, Originally, the plan was until this past Tuesday that we were going to start a new sermon series on the fear of the Lord uh, in conjunction with the year of the Lord this this week. But in thinking about Epiphany, I think it's the right thing to do, just for one thing that we don't usually acknowledge it, and it is a significant aspect of the church calendar. But then secondly, I think it's a a good way to start uh, with our two services with this topic. And I will explain that as we go. So Aubrey uh, read a prayer from Epiphany out of the liturgy. Um, 
we, we aren't a liturgical church, but in terms of me helping myself make sure I'm understanding Epiphany right, I looked at liturgy that Camille had found and sent, sent to me. And so one of the things that happens is that a description of Epiphany, real short, is it's the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. It's Jesus making himself known to Gentiles, that is to non-Jewish people. So God came to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and said, your family is going to become a nation, and through your family and nation, uh, you're going to be blessed, and all the peoples of earth are going to be blessed. And, and that is the, the people of Israel, the, the Jewish people, and Jesus was born into that. He was a Jew. Those of us who are not Jewish, which is probably most of us, my grandpa kind of looks Jewish, so I sort of hope that there's some Jewish blood in there for me, but I don't know. I mean, I'm probably a Gentile. The rest of us are Gentiles. And um, I want to read, we're not going to actually look at the story of the three magi in detail. Uh, I just want this essence of, this is what Epiphany is about. It is about the manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles. And uh, to get a handle on that, we're going to look at some other passages on on what that means. So one of them is from Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's probably most of us, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time, before Jesus, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So um, one of the metaphors used in here to explain like what it meant to be a Gentile, what it meant to be a, a not, not part of the people of God, is that you weren't a citizen. Now, most of us who are naturally born to this country, when we, think of, when we hear the word citizen or we hear the word foreigner or immigrant or something like that, we think of ourselves as citizens. I mean, some of us have traveled foreign places, but for the most part, we just think of ourselves as the citizens and then the other, other people as outsiders. And um, I'm, I'm remembering growing up uh, in my grade school and the maps... They always like took these big land masses and they cut them in half so that, you know, kind of Asia was over here and then Europe was over here. And right in the middle is America, like where it belongs, the center, the center. And that's, that's fine. But there is something that we carry subconsciously that as Americans, we are the center of the world. And we have a wonderful country, a unique country. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things that are amazing that, that we take for granted compared to other places. But the Bible does not point to America being the center. Uh, it doesn't say, you know, I'm the God of the, peop- the most prosperous country. I'm the God of the freest country. I don't, it doesn't say anything like that. It says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. That was the center point. And then Everyone else is kind of outsiders. They're the ones who are supposed to bring the blessing to the rest of the world. So we are the ones who are, what were the words, separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope, far away. That's us without Jesus. We're not standing in the center. Without Jesus, that's where we are. But then verse 19, there's a couple other things leading up to it, but verse 19 summarizes, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Not just citizens, you get to be family. We get to be family. And so one of the points of epiphany that I, I want to make this morning is that we are all outsiders who God says, I want to invite you in. I want you to come in and be part of a people. Like Jesus went, he, there's not many stories about Jesus' young wife. This is like waits till he's an adult. But like one of the few stories and one that they decided to turn into a, a celebration because it was so, is that Jesus as a little one made himself known to the people who were far away, made himself known to the people who were outsiders. He made himself known to that because that's where his heart is. So those of us who are all far away, we get welcomed in, not just as individuals, but to be a people. And this part is harder for us as individualists who, who don't have kind of fears of commitment and fears of all this, but he's like, you are coming because I want you to be part of my people, which just means you would be with others who follow Jesus. You would live into it with others who follow Jesus. You would be part of that. From outside, you're brought in. We're all brought in. That's the first point. Now, to help get a second point of a meaning of epiphany that I want us to look at, I'm going to use some of the prayers for the season of epiphany because in the church calendar, how it works is yesterday, January 6th, always January 6th, is epiphany. And Aubrey prayed a prayer that you pray for epiphany. And then today is, is technically the first Sunday of epiphany. And then it's the second Sunday of Epiphany, third Sunday, until Lent starts. So each week in the liturgy, they have different prayers for Epiphany. I want to read three of those. So the first one, Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed, to the ends of the earth. Now, that's, now if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, is this a prayer you kind of resonate with that you can pray, maybe? Like, yes, God, make yourself known, worshipped, you know, to the ends of the earth. Do it. Yes. Next prayer. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Now, this one's a little trickier. Like, if you're really praying this, like, sincerely, like, I am praying this for me. Give us grace, O Lord, that I would answer readily the call of our Savior and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation. So there might be a little more religiously, religious language than we would use, but like, God, make me ready so that I'm ready to tell all people people that are different from me, people that are far away from me, people that are right by me, that I would be ready to make you known, to talk about you, to invite people in, make it so that I am ready. Now, is that a prayer you pray? It's a, that's a harder one. For a lot of us, that's not one that comes as naturally. Last one, Almighty God, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift anew that by the preaching of the gospel, your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, again, if, the, if what we mean when we're praying this prayer is like, God, go do it. 
Every race, every nation, all over the world, go do it, God. Go make yourself known. I could pray for that. But to say, like, make me a part of you reaching all kinds of people all over the world. Make, help me to fulfill my part in that, including people that are very different from me, including if I have to actually inconvenience myself and go somewhere, including that. Then we, are, we don't pray this. This is kind of, you know, the value of the liturgical church is it kind of reminds us of things that we might get away from. And so Epiphany is a season to come back to say, like, A, thank goodness, because we're all outsiders, God would say, you can come in and be part of my people. But B, as part of my people, you, you be part of going, inviting in. We, here at Celebrate, we're gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. So we get to come into the presence of Jesus together. But then we're doing it to go. And we're also going to gather because that is what Jesus did. He, he brought people in. So the reality is, even those of us who, I think, believe in Jesus... And, and want his will to be done in life, we don't naturally go towards like, yes, I want to be part of this. We don't often see ourselves as part of making Jesus known to anyone that doesn't already know him, much less to people who are really different than us. But that is the heart of Jesus. So let me look... Let, let me uh, just go through a few different passages, three different stories, and watch what happens when Jesus is saying, like, I want to be made known to outsiders, to people who are different. I want, I want that to be the purpose. And watch the response. The first one would be, Aubrey just read the story. Jesus, as a baby, he's manifest to the outsiders. Here's the very next verse after that story. When they had gone, the Magi, the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So, Jesus is made known to the Gentiles, the foreigners, the outsiders, those far away. He's made known, and the very next thing is, somebody's trying to kill him. Now, there's a lot to that story, so maybe... That's not the only aspect of it. But let's look at another story. Jesus, for maybe a few weeks, months, he's started to actually go public with his ministry as a, as a man. And he, people are, are seeing like amazing things and coming to him. And so he ends up going to his hometown. Now, here's the response at his hometown. It starts off okay. Verse 22, all spoke well of Jesus and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, he was sent to a Gentile. A Gentile was like 100 miles away from the center of Israel. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Again, a Gentile. And a Gentile from even further away than that. 
He listened to that. What's the response of people saying, I know what you want. You want do stuff, good stuff here for us. That's what we're interested in, Jesus. That's what we're interested in, God. Do good stuff here for us. And he says, well, remember, God said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. And God's heart was actually like, well, in this time, I guess I'm going to just have to go way out there. To someone who's outside, I'm going to have to go way out there. To someone who's outside, here's their response. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill which was the town which, on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So the response to Jesus trying to point to, like, God's heart is for people out there. That you would be part of reaching people out there. Their response is, they try to kill him. Okay, one more. From Mark chapter 11, verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? Now, in this passage... It's easy to um, think like a highlight. If you're going to highlight one part of this, that verse is like, his house is going to be a house of prayer. That's, we want to be a house of prayer and worship here because that's what he says he wants his house to be. It's a place for people to connect with God. That's what he wants. It's his house. That's what he wants to see happen there. There's also that spot at the end where he says, you know, you've made it a den of robbers because what was going on there is they were ripping people off. So people from all over the Mediterranean world at the time would come a few times a year for festivals. And at certain festivals, they were supposed to give sacrifices. Might be certain different kinds of animals depending on all the different uh, rituals that they were doing. But they aren't going to you know, come from Egypt and bring their pigeons and their lambs and whatever they're going to sacrifice. They aren't going to bring that all the way with them and then up the mountain to Jerusalem. So they would bring money with them. And then the people there in Jerusalem, like, we can charge a lot of money. Because they got there at our mercy, and then they could rip people off. And beyond that, there was like dishonest scales in that. So they're taking advantage of the situation, making it a den of robbers. But uh, for sure, one of the points that Jesus is emphasizing here is that his house was to be a house of prayer for all nations. For all peoples, all kinds of peoples. That was the goal. Why do I say that with confidence? Well, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 56. And in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord says. And then he talks to two groups of people. The one he's talking to are single people. And he's, he's talking about single people, the difficulty of being single people, particularly the way they are the single people, and he's saying, like, you stick close to me, I'll give you something, an inheritance, a name, a family, even better than what we think of in those things. Then he says, now this is what the Lord says, single people, verse 6, and this is what he says to foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. 
For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So this is what the Lord says to foreigners, to the outsiders, to the people that are of different nations. He says, you can come to my house of prayer. You can offer sacrifice. Even if you're not Jewish, you can come in. That's what the Lord says. That's what the Lord intends. He intends his people who are loved and his treasured possessions to be the priests, the messengers, the, the people that go and invite others in and bring them in and help them become part of a, a people that are set apart for the Lord. That's the goal, but that's not what was happening there. If we can bring up a slide of a map of the temple. So what you see is a big uh, court, the court of the Gentiles, and then you will get to the court of the women, and that's where Jewish women could go. And then there's a certain spot where women couldn't go anymore, but Jewish men could go. And then there's a certain spot, and you'd go up each time a little higher, where Levites could go, not just any Jewish men, but Jewish Levites. And then it would get to priests and high priests. So then it would get to more to the holiest place. That was the, the thing. Now, if you go to the next slide, what you see is there's like this barrier wall. This is what archaeologists have found it to look like, where it says no foreigner may enter within this, and whoever's caught will be put to death. So, you, you know, the Gentiles could come, but there was a boundary they put around to make sure they didn't get any closer. Now, if you go back, this, uh, this picture is a little misleading because, because of the height and the scale, it, you don't see just how big the court of the Gentiles is. The court of the Gentiles is not just like, oh, maybe a little over half of it. It is way bigger in space. If you looked like an overhead blueprint, you would see there is way more space for the court of the Gentiles. Why? Isaiah 56. Isaiah 66. All the nations of the earth are going to stream to this place because they can come to my presence. Because he's going to take his people and say, go all over the earth and bring people in to my presence. That's the goal. What were they doing at the time of Jesus? This is where they set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. We don't need it for anything else. We might as well bring all the animals. We don't want any of those stinking foreigners in here anyway. So we might as well fill this place up with animals. We can, this would be so much more convenient, so much more easy. And they built the whole thing up. And what was Jesus' response? At the first service, not pre-planned, I had like went to knock this over. It tottered pretty good. It got pretty close. People thought it was going to go over. So I had a lot of emotion going. I'm not going to manufacture what the emotion I had going last time. I just watched several people like, boo. Like, that was close. I'm like, yeah, it's probably best that it didn't. But if I got people's attention just by like raising my voice a little bit and tipping this a little bit and it coming back down, can you imagine Jesus with a whip knocking stuff over? Because he is ticked off. That's what the Bible says. He is angry. And why is he angry? Because this is supposed to be a place where those who are outside can come on in. And you're filling it up to make money. You're filling it up for your own community. You don't even, it's not just that you don't care. You're, you're just keeping him out. I, I want you to come in. That's his heart. That people will be brought in. So then the question is, is that our heart? Those of us, all of us, outsiders who've been brought in, do we see ourselves now as we're part of being the ones who can bring other people in or go make Jesus known? It's not like it has to happen in a, 
church building or anything. So with two services, let me just let just a little bit. There's just a little bit of things I know of communication where people are not we're not very enthusiastic about going to two services. That's fine. There's, there's some tough things about going to two services. I mean, if you're on this team, you're getting up an hour earlier, you're here a lot longer. This is it's kind of something for that. Um, but the two biggest things that I hear, one is you don't get to see everybody. I just like it when we go to see them because then I don't even know. And that is, that is a, a fair point. Although I will say that for me, I get to see more people. Because I'm here before service and after service and before service and after service. And there's nothing saying that you couldn't come a half hour early if you come to this service. Or stay and get to people as they come and go and help us welcome each other. There's no reason that that couldn't be done. But the second thing that I hear the most is the energy. There's just more energy in the room when we're a full room. And that is true. The, the first service was a little bit fuller than this, this service. Now, it's 9 o'clock. I wasn't feeling the energy in the room at 9 o'clock. I mean, there's more energy at the second service. That's just part of the deal. People are still waking up. Um, but, like, is that the reason we should stay at one service? I mean, what, what's motivating that? Actually, I just brought up, like, I think when I came back from sabbatical, the room was full. I said, I think in 2024 we should go to two services, and I left it with the elder board. And the elder board, one of them just said, the main reasons that we wouldn't go to two services are just selfish. The reasons we would go to two services is it would serve people better. Give people options. Give, you know, when, when you're full, like we were, if you're a new person and you decide to come, you will show up maybe a few minutes before and pull into the parking lot, which is a lot fuller than you expected. This doesn't look like a very big church from out there. And then you'll drive. And so you'll come in and you'll probably come when the service has already started. Now, I don't know about this service, but in the first service, or if we only had one service, you know that the back row will be full. It is full a half hour early. People are coming and camping out there. I mean, there's, you know, wieners, they're roasting there. Like, this is, <laughs> this is our spot. In fact, Darlene Beyer, who's pa passed away um, several years ago, is now with, the, now with the Lord. She, I was giving the same thing several years ago when we were full, and I was making the same points, and she always sat at the edge, in the back row, same spot. She kind of came to me after I suggested, like, could we move up some so that when people come late, there's a place to... And she's like, ah, you know, I, just, I like my... She was kind of explaining herself why she liked her spot, but the next week, she had moved up one row. <laughs> she was in the second to last row, and she sat in that spot the rest of her life. <laughs> so she, you know, made the, made the, the movement. Um, but then... If you're late, so you can't sit back there, you will come. You know where we got a spot for you? Here's this one's wide open. How about you come into a room full of about 350, 400 people, and you just come on right in front of everybody. That will make you feel nice and welcome. <laughs> and that's how it goes. And I'll tell you, I was not my idea, but I love that we took out the center row because everyone's disoriented. People are coming here this morning just like, oh, I don't, literally, there's first service. I sound like sitting here. No. And they went over, yeah, I got one more, man. 
And then afterwards, one of them said, like, we're going to find a different spot next week. And it isn't quite the same yet. So we've got our spot. We actually had, this is what was reported to me, we actually had people come to our church for the very first time. This was a number of years ago, but come for our very first time. And someone came to them and said, this is the spot where we usually sit and had a move. Now, I tell that story so that all of us can feel good about ourselves because we would never do that. But is our heart, we want to make it as welcoming as possible for people to come in. I was talking to someone who was at the store this morning and talking to the person doing the checkout thing, and they had mentioned, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to church. And the, the checkout person like, they don't want me there. Now, part of that was that they don't want to be there, in my, if, potentially, you know. But is that the vibe we put out? If we think that people will just be like, you know what, I think I want to come to church, and we'll just come on in, that may happen once in a while. But unless they're invited in and welcomed in, most people don't think. I literally have had people call me and say, I'm thinking about coming to your church. I know them. Uh, next Sunday, would that be okay? Yes. Yes. I think those of us who go to church regularly just assume people know they can come. I don't think so. Do they know our heart is that we want them to come? Let me go through some application points just so I don't forget these, and then we'll tell a couple stories before we end. All right, so ways to start the year of the Lord at Celebrate. If you're new... Come to the newcomers group. If you're fairly new, someone came who had been coming here for a year to our last one, but they were like, I learned a lot at this, and I got to know some people. So you can come more than once to these newcomers things. You can be part of the ones that, that help us. But if you're new, what that does is it helps you know different ways you could be involved. I mean, we need more nursery people, greeters, and things like that. That's fine. The thing is, when you are actually in something, you stay more connected to people. And get to know them. You, be, you feel more like you're part of the people of God than if you just come and attend. Uh, sign up for faith commitment class, like Aubrey talked about. Like That is the picture of becoming part of the people of God. So if you've never been baptized, that's one way to do it. If you were baptized as a kid but have never confirmed that, then that's something that I would encourage you to do. But even if you just have made this to your church and it always wasn't, you've done those other things, there's a way in which you can come and say, this is... This is my church, so I'm reaffirming my faith. Something to consider. Youth group, something to consider. Be part of a group. Attend, attend Wednesday night if you can, and just find out if you want to. Five, six weeks. But my guess is, not many takers on that. Because people, I think, are waiting to be invited. I don't know how many times people, like, there are way more people who've been part of groups because someone invited them into the group than have went to sign up after an announcement like this. We're all part of inviting in. And so then lastly, pray for three people and invite them to worship with you, or maybe it's not worship. Maybe you invite them to um, a, a group with you or out to coffee to talk about God. But be praying for three people with the goal of like, these are three people who aren't really walking with Jesus, and you want to move them one step closer. So you pray for it. I was very convicted this fall, by a pastor who at their church, and they've been doing this for years, it wasn't just like a one-off thing, at their church, 
They have five people. You pray for five people, and you're committed to praying for five people who are not church-going, not followers of Jesus, every day. So maybe you might set your alarm at lunch hour or something, but you pray for them every day. But they, and you seek to try to move them a step. And every month, at every level of their church, you ask each other, How are you doing? have you been praying for them? And number two, have you had any conversations with them? So the elder board, every month, that's part of what they do. They all share. At staff, all share. That makes sense. The greeters. If you are a greeter, they ask you that question every month. We, you know, we aren't doing that here, just so you know, because I... Anyway. And what happens is, A, they're more likely to do it, and B, they get to tell stories like, you know what, so-and-so didn't come, but this happened. Or so-and-so did come, join me in praying for them. There's something that builds an energy. Because sometimes I think with, with a message like this, it can be like, oh, I guess they're supposed to feel guilty. Really? I mean, that's not how the Lord's looking at it. The Lord is like, I am excited to reach people. And you can join me in reaching people. And it is so fun to watch when you reach people. One thing that as I was praying for this service is I just, one of the things that I'm going to start putting in is like thanking God for the people who have been reached because there are quite a few of the leaders of our church who were not going, even going to church when I started here. But they got invited in by people and they came to know the Lord and they believe in the Lord. And now they're part of inviting people in. Do you want to be part of that? I, this week, I, there's a person I've been praying for. I've been praying for them for a while, but I started this after the fall, when I got back from sabbatical, I started this thing of praying for a certain amount of people every day, and this is one of them on the list. And I was with them. And so I just brought it up. I brought up faith, kind of expecting to like, like, okay, now the, now the relationship's awkward, now things are weird. But instead, the person leaned forward. They leaned forward. And through the conversation, what I recognized is they're just waiting to talk about it. They don't have anybody to talk about this with. This is like, they are not going to be the one who initiates, goes and finds somebody. Can we talk about this? So we had a really good conversation. I've been praying for weeks and just took one little step. It was not a big, and then watch what happens. The other thing, even if it is awkward, what happens if you start to have a little conversation or offer if you can pray for someone or something like that, invite them to church, even if that creates like an in initial awkwardness, what will happen is that person will know, if I want to talk about this, you are a person I can talk to. And I think that's a really good thing. A couple, a couple stories to close out. Um, one is... Uh, Iranians. So I'm thinking about this foreigners, because there's kind of two ways. Gentiles, if we're applying this to our day and age, some, we could think about it like Christians, non-Christians, because there's some similarities of like non-religious, religious, non-church, church. So there's some similarities, but there's also actual like cultural, racial things. So in Iran, in Iran, there is, it's outlawed, to have 
worship, and they're still doing it. Christians are still doing it. And so one particular pastor leader was told after leading a Christmas service that they would uh, have to report to the government. They knew what this probably meant, so they went and dropped off their two kids, their seven-year-old and their five-year-old. He looked at the seven-year-old daughter, and he said, I want you to know Daddy loves you, and Daddy might not see you for a while. And sure enough, he was arrested, and he did not see his daughter for 10 years. Now, he is willing to do that for the sake of people coming to know Jesus. There is nowhere in the world where more people are coming to the Christian faith at a higher rate than Iran. Ironic, because some people, if they see an Iranian or hear about Iranians, they think Muslim, enemy. It's just, there's just something in our nature. Like we want to be careful about you know, letting them into the country. But over there, they are willing to do whatever it takes for people to know Jesus. And more and more people are coming to faith in Jesus. Now this last story, I had, it wasn't even in my brain. Um, and then before the first service, teams playing through their songs. And when they end, instead of just being done, they just keep worshiping. And as they're worshiping, I think the song had to do with Jesus showing us his heart. And I, this, this story came to my mind, this memory. So I'm going to share it to close. When we were in Pella, at a house in Pella, we had our roof done. And it was done by a crew of Mexicans. And my next-door neighbor came over to me and just let me know that he didn't really like them, said something about smell, and he said, and just so you know, I went to the guy, the one guy that I could tell could speak English, and I told him, if there is a shingle on my property, I'm calling the police. Okay? That guy's in church twice this Sunday. His whole life. Now, Camille decided to cook all morning. Said, you know, tomorrow don't bring your lunch. She cooked all morning. And then she said, hey, why don't you, or then, you say, it's lunchtime. We got to know these people like lived in Mexico for six months out of the year with their family, but then they could make so much money to support their family, so that was their, you know, we got to know them. But when they went, all the food was in our little kitchen in our house, and they got to the door, and then they, they like paused. They didn't go in because they're dirty. They're like looking at us like, well, you're dirty. We don't care if you're dirty. Come on in. We don't care if you're dirty. Come on in. That is the heart of God. We don't care if you're dirty. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Now, I know what type of heart I want to have when I compare 
my neighbor, to Camille in that moment. And I also know the type of heart I typically have. And so I'm just praying like, Lord, not just me, but for our church, make us the kind of people that are like, come on in. Even if you're different than me, even if you're, just come on in. Did Aubrey leave? Did she leave her mic? That's right. Worship team, why don't you come on up? Are you okay sharing what you... Camille was telling me in between services after I told this story, which she obviously didn't know I was going to tell because it came to me right before the service, what came to her mind. Can she use your mic? She'll use Danielle's mic. We're good. Thanks for the hustle, but we'll just do this. Why don't you go ahead and share whatever. Yeah. Um, as Andrew was telling that story, I really hadn't thought about it for years. Um, hadn't thought about it for years. And... Um, as I think about when I want to share my faith, I often feel well, lots of things about, about that that are not positive, not, I'm not excited about it. Um, but as he told that story, I realized, I felt like the Lord showed me, like, what would keep those gentlemen from coming into my house was my own dirt. They were working on my roof. It was my stuff that was on them. So I think what the Lord was showing me is what is my dirt that keeps me from inviting people in? Like what? Um, three things came to mind. Um, I jotted them down over there. <laughs> See if I can remember. I think one of the things is I'm afraid the relationship will change. I'm afraid I, fear is the dirt. Um, I'm afraid people will misunderstand me, misinterpret me. I will be rejected. So there's that. Another thing, um, aspect of the dirt, my dirt that can keep me from inviting people in is maybe there's stuff in my life that I really don't want them to see, things that would maybe call them or make them call me hypocritical. So maybe there's stuff in my life that if I invite people in, they will see it. Um, and then the third thing that um, the Lord showed me was my dirt that keeps me from sharing my faith with others um, is I don't know what to say. <laughs> Funny, I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't even think. Um, I'm afraid I don't know what to say. I don't have the words to say. But the honesty, the honest thing is, like, what do I fill my mind with? If I'm filling my mind with social media or sports or whatever, that's what comes out of my mouth. If I'm filling my mind with the things of the Lord, that is what will come out of my mouth. There will be something to say. And so I felt like the Lord invited me to three things to examine, like, what is my dirt that's keeping people, me from inviting people in? So... Uh, Let's go ahead and just, um, here's some space, you and the Lord. We'll move into a, a closing song, but here's some space, you and the Lord. You can just talk to him, and then when you guys are ready, you can begin the song. <laughs>